it's so good just to enjoy and have the freedom to enjoy the presence of the Lord. Thank you, ministry team, for the worship and for your sensitivity this morning. We are continuing God's Word in a series that we simply call He Restores My Soul. Of course, it's based on the 23rd Psalm. We've dealt with a few different topics. I may deal with one more next week, not too sure. But uh, this morning I want to deal on the topic of forgiveness. We've been talking about, as the Scripture says, David says that he leads me beside still waters. He leads me into a place of quiet and rest, and that's where he restores my soul. And one of the things I think that we are seeing more and more in our day is there's such a need for the people of God to be a people who live and who minister from a place of rest, that we bring a sense of rest, a sense of calm. It's not a, a evasiveness. It's not denying what's going on around us, but as I mentioned earlier, as the Lord says, in, in quietness and confidence will be your strength. And we need to get back to understanding that our strength and the strength that we have to bring to those around us really is found not only in the quietness of the Lord's presence, but in allowing that quietness to permeate us and for us to take on that characteristic that we are a people of quietness, a people of rest, and from that place we minister with a sense of clarity and with confidence in whatever the Lord is leading us to do. As I mentioned this morning, I want to speak on the topic of forgiveness because we've been dealing with things that, that really rob us of that rest, that rob us of our soul, uh, that, that part of our personality that where our mind, our will, or emotions uh, abide. That, that part of us, it's so important that it be whole. And the Lord wants to bring wholeness. He wants to restore my soul. He doesn't want me just to be led by my feelings, my emotions, my natural understanding. He wants you to bring my soul into alignment with my spirit, the only part of me that actually hears from God and receives from God. And as I walk in that alignment, and the Lord is able to bring restoration to my whole being, to my spirit, my soul, and my body, that I might be perfectly whole and, again, uh, minister that wholeness to those around me. I want to begin by asking you a simple question, and that is, what do you do? when people hurt you? What do you tend to do? What do you do if somebody hurts you and they don't own it? They don't apologize. They don't ask for forgiveness. Maybe somebody comes to your mind right now that has hurt you, and it may not even be somebody you see a whole lot, but it's just that kind of person that you, you like to avoid, or you just feel uncomfortable if you find yourself in their company. There's somebody you don't really like to be around. Jesus said something interesting in, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 5. He said, there is a saying, love your friends and hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Why? Because in that way you will be acting as true sons of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good and sends rain on those who do right and he sends rain to those who do wrong. Jesus kind of says right off the start there, he says, listen, you don't get any credit for getting along with your friends. Where you actually get credit, where actually it becomes evident that there's a change in your life, is when you actually get along, you even love and pray for those who, those who hurt you, those who give you a hard time. Because when you do that, you're actually showing that something's happened on the inside of you. You're not like those around you. You're not like the culture that you live in. Jesus said the Father gives good things to those who love him, good things who don't love him. 
And then he basically says he expects you and me to behave the same way. I heard somebody once said that just as apple trees produce apples, forgiven people forgive people. Say it again, just as apple trees produce apples, it's just natural. Jesus wants us to understand that people who have truly been forgiven and know they're forgiven, the natural produce is forgiveness to those around. There's a scripture we've been looking at these past few weeks in Ephesians chapter 4. We've looked at verse 27. I want to back it up to verse 26. Paul says this, if you are angry, don't sin by what? Nursing your grudge. He didn't say you can't get angry. He didn't say something can't affect you. He didn't say that there aren't things that you maybe should be angry about, a righteous anger. But he says sin comes into the picture when you nurse a grudge. Don't let the sun go down with you still angry. Get over it quickly, for when you are angry, you give a mighty foothold to the devil. That word foothold is the Greek word topos, T-O-P-O-S. It's a prefix in some of our English word. For example, we use the word topographical. You ever seen a topographical map? You can look down over a mountain range or whatever, and you can see all the nooks and crannies and crevices and valleys, all the, all the places that somebody may hide. They may hide there, but they're not hiding from you because you can see from the top down. You see, the word topos or foothold means an inhabited place. And what Paul wants us to understand is that when we hold on to unforgiveness, it is actually a sign, a welcome sign to the powers of darkness. You see, there's, there's a way that things work in the spiritual realm, just in the natural realm. There are laws and, and principles. And one of the principles, one of the laws in the spirit realm is that there are certain things that you can do that give the devil legal right to be in your life to operate in your life. And one of the surefire ways is to harbor hurt or unforgiveness. It literally is a welcome sign that says, hey, enemy, I'm open. There's an opening here, and you are welcome to come in. In fact, sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, we want the enemy to come in, right? You ever been in a mood and you tell a person, don't cheer me up. Don't make me laugh. I, I want to, you know, stew for a while. That's what basically you're doing. I want to sit down with the enemy, and I just want to, you know, try to control him, but I, I want to I kind of enjoy this. I want to savor this. But the enemy doesn't come to be your friend. He comes for one purpose, to rob, steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to wreak havoc in our lives. And so we need to deal, Paul says, with this so that resentment and bitterness don't take hold. Paul goes on to say in verse 20, uh, 32, instead, instead of doing that, be kind to each other, tender-hearted. Come back to that in a moment. Forgiving one another. How? Just as God has forgiven you because you belong to Christ. If you didn't belong to Christ, if you didn't invite Jesus into your heart to wash away your sin, to make you a new creation, then God would not expect it of you. You don't have the ability to do it. But Christ is in you. You belong to Christ. And therefore, you need to forgive as God has forgiven you. You see, we live in a broken world where there's lots of opportunities to get hurt and to get hurt often. And so we need to understand how vital forgiveness is to our spiritual well-being. Well, one day Jesus is talking to his disciples about forgiveness, and he says to them in Luke 17, if your brother sins, correct him. Nothing wrong with correcting somebody. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in one day, and each time he comes to you saying, I repent, you what, should forgive him? No, no, you must. You absolutely must forgive him. 
Now, most of us have no problem with forgiving somebody when they're really sorry. When they come to us and, and they know they've blown it and we can see in their eyes they are truly sorry. Jesus says, yeah, forgive that person. But he says, you also must forgive the repeat offender. You must forgive the person who maybe does the same thing to you over and over again. We'll talk more about boundaries at the end, but he's talking about repeat offenders here. Now, this is really hard for the disciples to swallow, just like us, right? There are things the Holy Spirit speaks to us. We know what he's saying is true, but in our heart we're going, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, maybe somebody else, but that doesn't work that way in me. And so Peter asked Jesus, or the disciples asked Jesus in verse 5, we need more faith. Tell us how to get it. And Jesus says in verse 6, if your faith were as big as a grain of mustard seed, for those who don't know, it's the smallest seed over there in Israel. If it was just that big, you could say to this fig tree, pull yourself up by the roots and plant yourself in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, I could be wrong on this, but I was thinking about this this morning. And I wonder if what Jesus was referring to when he says, if you have the smallest amount of faith, and you're willing to forgive, as I'm telling you, that faith will be enough to pull up a tree by its roots. I believe what the Lord is talking about is it will be enough to begin the process to pull that root of bitterness out of your heart and to cast it into the sea. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he uses the image of the sea because we know the Lord says in his word, as far as the east is from the west, I've forgiven your iniquity. I have forgiven, taken your sins and remember them no more. I have cast them into what? The depths of the sea. I don't remember them. God is saying, that's what I do for you. And because of what I've done in you, that's what you can do for others. You can start a process whereby you uproot that hurt and pain and bitterness and you throw it away. Now, as we often do, the disciples were basically saying, Lord, we can't do this. It's too hard for us to do. You have to give us more faith. Now, we're going to talk about faith in a moment as far as our part, God's part. But we're like that a lot of times when the Lord speaks to us about something. Our response is, Lord, I can't do that. I don't have the strength to do that. There's no way I can do that. But that's where we stop. Because our frame of mind is, I can't do that. Therefore, God doesn't require me to do it. Lord, you know I can't do that. And it's almost like we think God is saying, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot you're the exception. Out of billions and billions and billions of people who lived in this world, I forgot you're the only one. Go your way in peace. He doesn't do that. He understands exactly what we're going through, but he wants us to be free. And so the disciples shift the responsibility away from themselves, and they put the responsibility onto God. But Jesus' response is quite thought-provoking. He finishes the conversation with a story. Again, we're still in Luke 17. He says this. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, he doesn't just sit down and eat, but first prepares his master's meal and serves him his supper before he eats his own. And he is not even thanked, for he's merely doing what he's supposed to do. If so, Jesus says, just so. If you merely obey me, you should not consider yourselves worthy of praise, for you have simply done your duty. I think what Jesus is saying is something like this. Forgiveness is not a matter of more faith. 
Forgiveness is a matter of obedience. That's where it begins. You choosing to obey. What it means is that it's your choice and your responsibility to get the process going. It's not God's. Forgiveness is the duty of every follower of Christ. But here's the key. It is made possible because of what Christ has done for you. He's not asked you to muster something up. He's asked you to remember what he has done for you, what he's done inside of you, what he's made possible for you to do based on the grace that you have received. But you must choose to forgive. You must determine not to get even. You must decide in your heart, I am not going to bear a grudge. I am not going to allow this to fester. I am going to release that person from my debt. Now, I'm sure you're thinking what a lot of us are thinking. Pastor, you don't know my situation. You don't know what was done to me. You don't know how this person hurt me or how many times they hurt me. I want to give you a few motivations as to why we must forgive and how to forgive. First, as Jesus points out, you have to forgive because God has forgiven you. It's just that simple. I'm not saying the forgiveness is simple. It's a process sometimes. But the truth is that simple. God has forgiven you. Therefore, if you are his, you must forget. Now, that can be a painfully difficult subject to address. But Jesus raised it with the disciples, which causes Peter to ask this question in Matthew 18. Lord, if my brother keeps on sinning against me, how many times do I forgive him? Seven times? Now, in my study, I read that in the days of Jesus, three was the maximum. If you forgave somebody the same thing three times, you were a saint. So Peter probably takes that and says, okay, three times. I'm going to double that, and then I'm going to add one. And Jesus is going to be really impressed. Because they're not going to say, four times, Jesus. Oh, Peter, you're incredible. Five, no, seven times, Lord. And he expected the Lord to say, wow, Peter, you're amazing. Seven times. You only got to do it three times. Where do you get this power? But Jesus doesn't do that. What does he do? Verse 22. No, not seven times. Seventy times seven. In other words, listen, Peter, here's the point. It's not how many times. The point is, stop counting. Stop keeping track. Stop rehearsing it. Stop nursing it. Let it go. Your life's too important. There's things ahead you've got to do. You can't let this get into your heart and ruin you. You can't give the enemy a place in your heart. Don't let him win. There's more to this than just your feelings. And then Jesus tells him another story, I believe, to illustrate that this is what kingdom people are like because this is what the king is like. And hear me, friends. If you follow the king, then you're going to behave like the king. You see, we tend to think a lot in our Western Christianity, really, I think a lot of our Western Christianity, it's just simply our culture with icing on it. When you really look at it, just the way we live or what we think is okay or not okay or good enough. It's kind of like, well, I know it's acceptable to our culture, but I'm a Christian, so I guess i got to act a little better than that. 
So we take the cultural, what's the norm? Hey, if you're a good person, this is what you'll do. And we say, well, I got to spice it up a little bit. So I'll be a little better than that, and that should be okay with God. And the Lord says, I don't care how much icing you put on it, it's still filthy rags. It's still a lost culture that doesn't have God. You're not in that culture anymore. You're in the kingdom now. You have resources and truth that the culture doesn't have. I expect something entirely different of you because of what I have done in you and because of what I'm calling you to. You've got to understand you are kingdom people, and if you're a kingdom person, you're going to follow the king. And if you're following the king, you're going to behave like the king. That's what Jesus said. By doing this, you will show that you are children of the Heavenly Father. That's the evidence, not what you say, not what you post on Facebook, not many followers you get on Instagram. Doesn't impress the Lord. If you behave like the Father, you're one of His. If you don't, there's something missing. And so he tells the story. We know, well, I'll paraphrase it, but he tells the story of a man who owed a great debt that he could never repay. Now, the custom in that day, in Jesus' day, was if you owed a debt, then you had to sell whatever you had to pay that debt. It may require just selling some furniture, small debt, okay, it's paid, whatever. But you couldn't let it go. Now, if you sold everything you had, your house, your furniture, the clothes off your back, but it still didn't pay the debt, the next thing you had to do was sell your spouse and children into slavery so they could work off the debt. You see, the reason that you're not sold into slavery is because you're put in the uh, debtor's prison. So you can't do anything. You are totally dependent on the grace of those who are out there to get to work and try to pay the debt off so you can get out of prison. If not, that's where you're going to die. That's the picture Jesus paints in this story. He's making the point there is no way this man can possibly escape the predicament that he finds himself in, and it's no one else's fault but his own. That's the mess he is in. He's there. He deserves it. And then Jesus says in verse 26, the servant fell on his knees before the king. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay you everything. The king felt sorry for him. So he forgave him the debt and let him go. I want you to imagine this. I don't know what the amount was, but we know it was a debt he could never repay in his whole lifetime. Hundreds of thousands or more, whatever your equivalent may be of your salary, there was no way at all you could pay the debt. And yet this king cancels the debt simply because the man asked for mercy. Let that sink in. That's it. He knew there was nothing this man could do. But because this man said, please have mercy on me, the king's heart is moved, and he has mercy, and he races the entire debt, maybe millions of dollars. Doesn't that tell you something about the heart of the king? What this man was like who was owed that great debt? The man in debt didn't even ask for it to be canceled. He only asked for time to pay it back. He didn't expect any kindness at all. But the king has a choice. He's either going to seek vengeance or else he's going to spare this man and his family the consequences of his own reckless behavior. Now, Jesus continues in the story, and you would think at this point when the man was forgiven this debt that he would just have this reaction of, of sheer joy and of unbounded generosity and gratitude, right? He would just be looking for somebody out there that he could just, you know, show, shower this grace on. 
Man, you won't believe what happened to me. I've got some money in my pocket. You need something? Going by the guy down the street, dropping 100 bucks in the can, whatever, just overflowing with joy. But that's where the story takes a dark turn. Because Jesus says this man who's been given, forgiven everything, given his life back, given his future back, given his family back, everything is still his. He goes out. No sooner did he bump into a man who owes him nothing by comparison. And the interesting thing is he threatens that servant with the same punishment that he himself deserved. The same fate. Even when the servant falls on his knees, and get this if you read the story, the servant actually uses the very same words that this man used to the king. But instead, his heart is unmoved, and he has his servant thrown into prison. I don't think Jesus could have painted a darker picture of unforgiveness, but it gets worse. The king hears what this man has done, and he says in verse 32, you worthless slave, Worthless slave, I forgave you the whole amount that you owed me. Get this, just because you asked me. That was it. There was nothing you could give me. There was no way you could repay me. You only asked, and I released you. I changed your destiny forever. You should have had mercy like that on your fellow servant, just as I had on you. The king was very angry, and he sent the servant to jail to be punished until he should pay back the whole amount. And I believe the whole point of the story is simply this. It is totally irrational for me to hold anybody in my debt in light of the amazing generosity and compassion of God toward me. The Bible says that Jesus without sin came into this world and he died on a cross to pay for my debt. Do you realize if Jesus had not come, if he had not taken your punishment upon himself, do you realize you and I would be suffering for eternity? We would have to pay our debt because God is just and sin cannot go unpunished no more than crime can go unpunished in our culture. It just doesn't happen that way. But God had a choice. And the only way he could pay for my debt for me to be free is if he took on himself my punishment. Imagine the love that he did that. He sought me. He came after me. He saved me. He died for me when I didn't even care about him. I could care less about him. I had no idea where I was hitting. But God, in his mercy for me, sought me out and said, you don't know how lost you are, and I am going to save you, and it's going to cost me my life. I'm going to shed my blood for you because you don't know what's out ahead of you, and I love you. That is God's heart toward me. That is what he has done for me. And can you imagine the absolute idiocy for me to hold anybody in debt to me after what I have received? Now, talk in a moment about how we do that. I know it's not always easy, but God can make it happen. You see, I kind of wish that Jesus had just stopped there. But he makes one last statement in verse 35. He says, This is how my Father in heaven will treat every one of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now think about that. 
You see, in God's economy, it's not enough for me to say, oh, I forgave them, jerk. I don't know, can you say that word? I don't know what's, what's good or bad nowadays. No, because we do that. Oh, yeah, no, I forgave them. No, 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 no. From your heart. Because you haven't forgiven until every root of hurt and bitterness is dragged up and cast into the sea. And your heart is free so that you can do more than just forgive them, as we'll see in a moment. That's how deep the Lord wants to do a work in our heart. But the interesting thing, he says this. If we do not forgive, we will be punished until the debt is paid. Now, I could be wrong, because I know many years I've read this and thought, well, it just kind of seems like if you don't forgive, I guess you lose your salvation, like you're going to be punished forever. I don't think that's what he's saying. In fact, I was meditating on this morning. That's where it kind of opened up to me. But it ties into our second motivation for forgiving. Number one, I forgive because Jesus forgave me. And number two, I forgive so that Satan will not be able to control me. As we read earlier in Ephesians 4.27, the Bible says, if you are angry, don't sin. How? By nursing your grudge. Or you give the devil a mighty foothold. You see, what I believe the Lord was saying in that previous verse is that it's not the Father who is punishing you, but there are spiritual principles in play. If you do not forgive, the Father cannot stop the jailer from coming and taking you because by your unforgiveness, you give him legal place in your heart. So the Father, in all of his power, is also bound by his laws. And he says, I will give you grace to forgive that you may be free. But if you won't forgive, you've got to understand, there's nothing I can do to stop it. The enemy will come to steal, kill, and destroy, and he will take you away. And you know what will happen? When you give him place in your heart, he will torture you. He will torment you. And I don't want that to happen. It's not a matter of forgiving, saying it doesn't matter what the person did. It's not a matter of saying, oh, everything's just okay now. No, no, there's some healthy boundaries that we'll finish with. But friends, we've got to understand the Lord is saying, you need to forgive that you don't give the jailer right to your life because he will torment you. You see, when I refuse to forgive, I am the one who stays in prison. It gives the powers of darkness access to my heart. And the reality is, they only have power over me if I give them something to grip inside of me. That's why Jesus talked about the prince of darkness, Satan is coming, but he, he has nothing in me. He's got nothing in me. There's no offense in me. There's no hatred in me. There, there's nothing of the enemy in me. He can do nothing to me. And we, as the people of God, are given that same potential, that same power. You see, unforgiveness becomes bitterness. And bitterness was once described as illogical, as logical as you drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. That's what we do. We just nurse this grudge. We nurse this anger, whatever it may be. And somehow we think the other person's suffering. They don't even care most times. They're not even thinking of you. You're the one who's rotting on the inside. And so the Lord says, you have to forgive for your own sake, but you also have to forgive because that bitterness becomes corrosive to those around you. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, make sure no one lives with a root of bitterness sprouting within them. You see where the, where the Lord is saying, unless you forgive with your whole heart. You see, you can't have that bitterness growing in you. He says that bitterness growing within them, which will only cause trouble and poison the hearts of many. 
You see, bitterness has a way of leaking. That resentment, that bitterness is not something. We may think that we're keeping control, but friends, it begins to spill out of us. It spills out in just a sharpness in our tone, a, a lack of grace towards something. It spills out spiritually because we give the enemy place in our home. It, it can contaminate our children. It can, it, it can contaminate our, 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 the environment of our home. We can find after a while we don't even realize it, but just our attitude, just our, our attitude towards certain things or situations that we've gone through because we haven't forgiven when we meet somebody going through the same thing. Rather than bringing healing words, we say, yeah, girl, I know what you mean. Yeah, I've been through that. Oh, he's a, he's a jerk. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, her. Oh, yeah, I know, I know what it's like, man. You're better off leaving her. Yeah, I know what it's like. What are we doing? We're bringing that bitterness. We're spilling that bitterness. And after a while, you'll find some people just don't want to be around you. And those who do, you don't want to be around because misery loves company. They're just bitter too. It doesn't do you any good. The Lord says, I want to free you from your heart because you don't realize that if you're holding resentment or bitterness, it is going to clog some part of your life. It's going to contaminate. So it's going to rob you of authority in your ministry, in the flow of the Holy Spirit, in, in what, you want to, what I want to bring to, to your home, your family, to your workplace, whatever it may be. Until you forgive, you remain in Satan's grip because there's no other doorway out of that, out of the prison, than forgiveness. Well, how do we forgive? I see our time is going. Let me give it to you real quick, just a couple things here. Going back to what we said originally, how do we forgive? Remember God's love and grace toward you. Friends, if you remember this, remember this. You'll never forgive anyone more than what God has already forgiven you. Never. There will never be a thing God will ask you to forgive that outweighs what he's forgiven you. Keep that in mind. You see, when you're hurt, you have those imaginary conversations with the person who hurt you, don't you? And when that's happened, what I've learned is that's the very moment that I have to start remembering how God treats me. You see, you can't replay the hurts and remember God's grace at the same time. You can't do both. You've got to pick one or the other, right? Because we do that sometimes with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, don't cheer me up. You know, I'm going to let you have it eventually. I'll let it go, but I want to enjoy it right now. You know, and it's kind of like the Holy Spirit, you know, channels Dr. Phil. You know, how's that working for you? You know, you ready to let it go? You stewed long enough? Feel dirty enough? Okay, let's, get, let's deal with it. A few things that I do, I'll turn on some worship music that gets my mind going in a different direction. I'll meditate on scriptures about God's love and grace toward me. I'll take out a piece of paper or a journal. I'll begin to list all the things that he's forgiven me of and just allow him to create that grateful heart within me. So we need to remember that God has forgiven us. That ties into a second way to release forgiveness, and that simply is see yourself more like the person who hurts you rather than unlike them. Don't think you're better than them. In fact, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7, don't pay attention to everything people say. You know yourself that you have insulted other people many times. Now, if your spouse or someone you know is sitting beside you, you know, you'll have to be honest, but has anybody here ever hurt somebody? <laughs> Elbows, right? Yeah, and not just once or twice, many times. You've done it too. Who do you think you are? When somebody angers you, try to ask yourself, what has hurt that person that makes them want to hurt me? What kind of day did that person have? 
Why are they like that? How were they raised? What kind of home did they grow up? What kind of week did they come from? What, 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 you know, what are they going through? That, what, what's broken in them that just creates those sharp edges that makes them want to wound me? Like, just take a moment and kind of just analyze it. Okay, I know what they did. I know it hurts, but why do they do that? What's going on inside them? If I was in their situation, would I react the same way? Would I do the same thing? And as believers, we may not understand all that psychological stuff by any means, but we certainly know there's a devil that work in their life. And we can have compassion on them because we understand that the enemy has strongholds in their heart and they're manifesting what they don't understand, fighting for what they think. They may even be right in they think, but they don't understand the damage they're doing because, honestly, they don't know Christ. The, the, the love of Christ does not flow in their hearts. The presence of Christ is not a reality. They might be religious, but they don't really know Christ in a transforming way. Now, that doesn't excuse the behavior, but I've found is when I take a moment to think that way, it does help to soften my heart and helps me to prepare to, to forgive. I can honestly say, it's not my notes just comes to mind, but I can honestly say I've never talked bad to my wife about anybody in our congregation or any church we've served, I don't believe. And one reason for that is simply because I don't want to turn her against somebody. You see, she loves me, you know, and sometimes she'll say, hey, that's probably you, yeah, I'm sure. But I don't want to turn her heart against somebody because somebody hurt me for maybe a reason I deserve, kind of like David when they were mocking him. Hey, you know, don't kill them. No, they're probably, everything they said is probably true. You know, there are those times. But I don't share those things with her because I need to take those things to the Lord and process those things, process those things with the Lord, which leads to the third thing very quickly, and that is we need to forgive or how we forgive is to pray blessing on those who hurt us. Bless those who curse you, Jesus said. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now, keep it in mind that Jesus said earlier that forgiveness is a matter of obedience, not of more faith. And it is possible because of what I've received from the Lord. But I also know that forgiveness is a process at times. And yet the important thing to understand is it is possible. The Lord wants me to work toward forgiveness for my freedom. Now, we all process things differently. But I know when the Lord speaks to me initially about something that's larger, a lot of things I can let slide or, or forgive or not think twice about, but there, there are times that you can be hurt in life. And I'll, I'll go before the Lord in prayer because I know, and it may not be the day after, usually it's right away, as fast as I can, but I'll go to prayer and, and I'll say, Lord, I'm going to pray blessing on this person because I want to obey you, number one. I don't feel like I want to pray for them but I want to start setting things in motion because I don't want to be bogged down with this. I don't want to be worse off with this. And so I'll just say something to the effect, Lord, I'm going to start to pray blessing for them because I want to obey you. But as I'm praying, Lord, I don't mean a word that I'm saying. I might as well tell him because he knows anyway. I don't mean this at all, Lord, so, but I'm going to say it anyway. But I pray that you will help me eventually to mean what I'm saying. You see, that's the key. If I will obey and begin to forgive over time, seven times 70, it may not be the first time, second time, because what am I doing? Every time I'm praying blessing, I'm taking that poison dart a little further out of my heart, a little further, a little further, and eventually it's out, but then there's still healing. And it's got to scab over, and it's got to soften, and it's got to return to what it was before. And so I'm praying and I'm praying, and as I pray, I'm praying for their life all the good things that I want for my life. 
Because I've learned that if you do what God asks you to do, then he will do what you can't do. And what you can't do is you can't change your heart. He can change your heart. But here's the key. Don't wait for him to change you before you pray blessing, before you forgive. You start, and he will come alongside. You see, the act of forgiveness, asking forgiveness, or giving forgiveness is an act of your will, which means that you don't have to wait for the person to apologize. They may never apologize, but you still choose to forgive. They may be dead, but you still choose to forgive. But here's the difference. I'm going to ask the worship team to join me as we move to the Lord's table. Here's the difference. There's a difference between forgiveness and trust. Forgiveness is something that you give freely out of obedience to the Lord and for your spiritual health. Trust is something that is earned. And so if a person asks for your forgiveness, they're truly repentant, and you forgive them, then there's hope for that relationship to be restored in some way. But if they don't ask for your forgiveness, here's the key. You can still fully forgive them. But having forgiven them, you can also establish wise and godly boundaries so they can't keep hurting you over and over again. You don't do it with vindictiveness or anger. You just do it in wisdom, and you say, here's the boundary until trust is restored. That could take weeks, months, or years, but you're doing it with the right heart, and you're doing it for the right motives. Bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you, Jesus said. You see, I really believe that when you get in the habit of praying blessing over those who hurt you, you're going to think of them less. You know one of the reasons why? Not only is the Lord healing you, but the devil is hesitant to bring that person to your mind because he knows all you're going to do is pray blessing on them. And he doesn't want that. And you're going to see that begin to evaporate. And the Lord's going to free you to actually love and minister in the way he's created you to to those around you. I know there's times that we choose to not forgive. But friends, we will never find freedom if we refuse to let go. Forgiveness doesn't mean that what the person did doesn't matter. And it doesn't mean that everything is okay now. You know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is unlocking the door to set someone free and realizing that the whole time you were in prison. You were the one behind closed bars. And you go free. You see, that's what forgiveness is all about, my friends. It's for you. Jesus said, if you forgive those who hurt you, if you bless and pray for those who do wrong to you, who persecute you, then you show that you are daughters and sons of the Father. Then you show that you actually carry his presence. It's a process the Lord will walk with you through, depending on how deep the hurt is. But he says, I want you to be free. I want the poison gone from the level of your heart. I want every root torn up. I want your heart to be whole. I want your soul to be healed. Because I don't want anything to stop the flow. I don't want the enemy to have any accusation against you when you go to minister or you go to love or do something to say, hey, who do you think you are? No, no, I'm free. I can minister in the confidence of the Lord because I'm free. The Lord's forgiven me and I forgive. Would you bow your heads with me? You just close our eyes before we close the service and partake of communion. I want to ask you to do two simple things. As the worship team sings this song, I want you to quiet your heart and ask the Lord 
if there's anyone that you need to forgive. And then number two, I want you to choose to release that person from their debt. So as they sing, just do that. Holy Spirit, is there anyone you bring to mind? And number two, Holy Spirit, right now, I may not even mean this, but I forgive them, I release them, I pray for them. Help me to mean it, Lord. But I give you at least that much. I open the door that much for your healing to begin. Just do some business with the Holy Spirit while the worship team ministers this song. Thanks for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. For full services, head over to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or want to get connected, go to gtmoncton.com and follow us on social media at GT Moncton to stay up to date on what's happening here at GT. God bless.